You're listening to the Believe in Islanders show with Matt Watney. That's right, the Believe in Islanders podcast back at you on a Thursday morning. It's Matt Watling here. If you would like to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Believe in Isles. You can also follow me at Matt Watling 99 if you're interested. Talking Isles, talking all things Islanders, of course. And we've got a lot to get to here on the show. First off, what is going on with Ilya Sorokin? This is, is getting kind of crazy. This is a guy that's supposed to be a hero, a god in the crease, and he hasn't just been that. We'll get to that shortly. We've also got to recap the week that was a 1-1-1 one, one, one stretch for the Islanders that might be good, might not be good. And I guess that's kind of what you expect when you go 500 for the week. Uh, beyond that, we've got some news across the NHL. We've got a potential trade candidate for the Islanders that friend of the show, Stefan Rosner, uh, spoke about or written wrote for for NYI Hockey Now. We'll touch on that story. And of course, our bets. And if you're not betting with us, I don't know what you're doing. Because we're giving three, three Thursday picks pretty much every single week. This week, we've got four. And we're sitting at 11 and 7. And the beauty of our picks is it's a balancing act. We're not going for a bunch of easy favorites. Because anyone can say, oh yeah, Vegas is going to beat Chicago. Well, if I give you that, it's minus 200 and you're not making any money. But what we do do is we get you some nice value picks. Maybe a couple of minus 110s here and there. Last week we had a minus 114 that hit, a minus 112 that hit, and a minus 122 that inexplicably lost. The Detroit, Florida over six and a half was virtually locked in midway through the second. There were six goals. And we could not buy the seventh to get the over. But still, we made you money. Two wins last week. We've got four picks coming up towards the end of the show. And also a brief breakdown of the week ahead. But let's get back to what really has to be the biggest story of the Islanders week. And that's Ilya Sorokin. And everyone's eyes kind of, you know, raised. The eyebrows raised, I should say. On Friday, when we saw Semyon Varlamov in net, and they rose even higher, if that was possible, on Tuesday, when Semyon Varlamov got the start again. So now we sit here and say, what the hell is going on with Ilya Sorokin? He's now had what will be close to, I think, a week off, right? Yeah, he'll have basically seven days or six days. And maybe that's a good thing, get his head right. I happen to think that might be the right move. Give him the break, let him reset. Because while he is a stud, he hasn't played as many game, this many games before in his career, right? When we look at what he's been the last couple seasons for the Islanders, what he's been is nothing short of brilliant, but he's not, he never had the workload that he's had now. And perhaps that's playing into it. Can he afford to play 60 games this season? And more importantly, I don't think the Islanders need him to play 60 plus games this season. With how good Samuel Varlamov has been. I mean, they have two top 15, top 20 goalies in the NHL. You might as well use them both. But to get into the Sorokin situation here, in the last four games, he's 0-4. He's given up 12 goals. He has a save percentage sub-900. I don't think he's ever had a save percentage sub-900 in his NHL career. Even, you know, converting to the smaller ice from Russia a couple years ago. And what scares me is when you look at the chances he's facing, 
you know, it's, it's roughly the same across the board, right? His expected goals allowed on the season is about two and a quarter. And in the last four games, he faced 2.33, 2.71, a 0.97 against Nashville, and a 1.98. That's right around the, the average you'd expect, right? The high danger chances, on average, they're giving up 10 per game, 10 high danger chances allowed. He saw nine against Carolina, 15 against St. Louis, five against Nashville, and eight against Philly. And what absolutely crushes you is that Nashville game. That was a a, a tough game to lose because you only faced 11 scoring chances. You only expected to give up under a goal. It was 0.97 goals. And somehow the voodoo magic that is playing against Nashville, a team they haven't beaten in forever, you give up four. And I guess to be fair, what, two of those were empty net goals, right? So it's really a a 2-1 game, which I guess isn't the worst. But then to to compound that issue, as you fire almost 50 shots on net and you can only slip one by Kevin Lankinen. This is tough. And... What I think is happening now, and I'm no goalie expert, and if you want a little more in-depth analysis on the Sorokin situation, give a follow to to our friend of the show, Stefan Rosner. He's locked in. He's a a goalie. He plays goalie all the time, you know, rec league, things like that. He mentioned that Sorokin's not tracking the puck as well as he has in the past. What I see is a guy that is – giving up high-danger goals a lot more frequently than he was previously. He's given up 10 in his last four games on high-danger chances, 29 faced for a save percentage of 655. With for 16 games, his high-danger scoring uh, save percentage was 868. Now, I'll look it up here, but I can't imagine that high-danger save percentage is supposed to be in in the 800s, as high as it was. I mean, that is a really, really high number that I just don't know if you can expect consistently from any NHL goaltender. And we'll look through it now here, looking thanks to Money Puck. So the high danger unblocked shot save percentage, the best in the NHL, is actually Sorokin, or Varlamov, excuse me, at 875. So that's impressive. Now we scroll down a little bit to find Ilya you know, Sorokin. It's 746, the high danger unblocked shot attempt save percentage. You know, he's in line with Mackenzie Blackwood, Keith Kincaid, who I guess has no real time, Jacob Markstrom. So he's kind of struggled to the extent where now he's, he's a, not, oh man, that's troubling. That really is. Because this is a guy that you've relied on so much. And it really feels like it's just these, been these four games that's tanked him, specifically the St. Louis game. And look, he was left out to dry in that game. 15 high-danger chances against four goals on those chances. That's got to be better. He had a a goal saved above expected that game of negative 218. When you've got a good goaltender, a guy that's supposed to be the reason your team ticks and the reason your team makes a deep run this playoff, he's got to be better than these last four games. And that's why I think it's so important that this team gives him these six days off. And lets him get back to what he needs to get to and work a little harder in practice. Because when you're the starting goaltender and you've got morning skate against the Bruins, you're not really facing a lot of shots. So to let him 
see bodies in front in a practice setting and really aggressively have to make those stops, I am beyond happy in, to be put in that situation. Because, you know, let's check the, the schedule moving forward. A, a brief look at We'll get to the full look at later on. Friday against Arizona. Saturday against Vegas. Monday against Colorado. He might need to play against Arizona. Just to get the confidence up maybe a little bit. Because Vegas is a wagon. They're really good. And we'll get to them more. But maybe you do give them the easier game. You, you kind of did it, I guess, the, pat, the last back-to-back you had. Right, he gets the Carolina game, and look, the team didn't help him. It was one of the worst games they played all season long. I don't think they had twenty shots on goal. So to have him play against a tough Vegas team, I don't know. I don't see it. What I do know is that this Islander team has to be better defensively. We've said it time and time again on this show, but especially for Ilya Sorokin, you got to give him a chance to make some saves. You just have to. We can't be giving up. 15 high danger chances again. We can't be giving up nine, right? Like you did against Carolina. Like let's let's try to get the limit to eight. And maybe we lose the game 2-1. But I want to get Elias Oaken going. Because he's the key to a lengthy, successful playoff run. And it's 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 time. You can't rely on a guy to make, you know eight and a half saves every 10 high danger chances he faces. I don't find that to be a sustainable, successful pattern. So try to just protect the house. And they did a pretty good job of that against Boston, right? When I look at that game, the first goal on the power play is one that Varlamov wants back. The second one redirects off Josh Bailey. It is what it is. But when you look at the chances that they gave up in that game, and we'll pull up the numbers here briefly, it felt like they did slightly a better job limiting those chances. And look, at the end of the day, the deserve to win a meter, everyone's favorite, especially when the Rangers were in the playoffs last year, when they were somehow winning despite having a 30%. It was basically 50-50. And, and, I'm, and I say that struggling because I'm on money puck right now. And it actually has the Islanders winning 51% of the time. Which, look, I don't really care about that. But what I will say is that the Islanders did a better job limiting five-on-five expected goals. Two and a quarter for one of the best teams in the NHL. I'll take that any day of the week. That's a tough game you played, and that'll bring us to talking about this past week. This was the toughest stretch the Islanders have faced since late October. Right? This was the toughest stretch they faced since going 0-3 against the Devils, against Tampa, and against Florida. And we see them sit 1-1-1. Is that enough? In a weird way, yeah, but you're kind of left wanting more. And the expression goes, you know, a tie is like kissing your cousin. This is kind of what it feels like. Because you played extremely well against the Devils. And look, they gave up some goals at the end, but that's because the Devils pulled their goalie with like a bajillion minutes left in that game. Now you were kind of destroyed by Carolina, but that's, in my eyes, a scheduled loss. You're playing two really good teams back-to-back. That's why that first game was so important. And you won. Handedly. And now Tuesday, that's where the disappointment kind of comes in. Because this is a team in Boston that has not lost in regulation at home. 14-0-1. And you stole a point from them in their home building. 
Now, the downside is, is that you gave up two goals off rip, right? I was finishing up at the gym when the game started. I come back home, all of a sudden it's 2 nothing, and you're down. But you fought back like you have time and time again, and you managed to steal a point, despite being outshot by seven. Now, we can celebrate the 500-point percentage, and that's basically what they've been the last 10 games. They're 5-4-1 their last 10 games. But that's not going to cut it in the Metropolitan Division. And that's why maybe this is the negative of splitting this with this last week. Because when you look at teams around you, they're all playing better. The Rangers also have an equal 5-4-1 uh, record in their last 10 games, but they're on a four-game winning streak. Carolina, 6-1-3. They're picking up those loser points. Pittsburgh, 8-1-1, six-game winning streak. Now they're three points ahead of you with the game in hand. Even the Capitals, who I thought were dead in the water a couple weeks back, have won seven of their last ten. And they're only a point back of you for one of those wildcard spots. So it's very hard to sit here and say everything's okay at 1-1-1 because the guys around you, the teams around you are winning more. And this isn't about just playing good hockey. The teams that are worried about playing good hockey are the Canadians, the Sabres, the Red Wings at this point, teams that aren't expected to make the playoffs and that are young and growing. But this is a team that needs to win right now. So how are you supposed to accept mediocrity? How are you supposed, how are you supposed to accept a team that can't win games and are shockingly bad defensively? And it happened before the Pelican injury. And you're hopeful that he comes back by the end of this road trip. You're hopeful that you can have him back for Colorado. I don't really see that happening right now just based on the on the tea leaves. But even with him, you've been horrible defensively. And I don't know if there's a player that fixes it. So it comes down to internally, can the team play better? And maybe they'll gel better and understand the system better or the, the tweaks and maybe Lane Lambert. And what I think has to happen is Lane Lambert's got to bring in the reins a little bit. Because as much as this team's been scoring, they're not going to win consistently 5-4 games. They don't have the talent to do that. It's got to be tightened up. Show me some 3-1 hockey, right? Maybe you start out in a defensive shell and you lean back a little bit, get, get your skates under you, and then take some chances in the middle parts of the game, get up a goal, and come back to the defensive structure. It doesn't have to be chipping the puck out and staying on your half of the ice. But one thing that I've noticed a lot too, and it's got to get better, is the defenders – in the offensive zone, we've got to do a better job of keeping the puck in. There's a handful of empty net goals this team's given up because the defender is way too soft at the point, turns the puck over, and back the other way, the other team scores the empty netter. And that's happened at 5-on-5 five five with goalies in the nets, too. You've got to limit those odd man rushes against, and that's something that the Islanders haven't quite done yet this season. And the way that they're playing, you know, and the way the division around them is playing, Time is ticking, and you can't sit at 500 for the next three weeks of the season. You've got to start winning games and putting distance beyond the other teams. Now, the bright side of all this is in this stretch, you haven't had that many bad losses, right? You played Nashville very well, but that's a team that just managed to beat you. You couldn't beat the goaltender. St. Louis was a really bad loss, and I guess Philly a couple games ago, the Sorokin loss. 
realistically, it's been what, one lo- one bad loss in six games. You know, being that St. Louis game, you kind of expect to lose to Carolina. You expect to, to lose to Boston. You steal a point from them. It's hard to complain when the teams you're playing are elite. But right now, if you're the Islanders and you can beat the teams you're supposed to beat, there's not that many teams that you're not supposed to beat. I mean, let's go through it. Let's go through some of these teams that you're facing or in the standings, let's say. Right now, the teams you're supposed to beat in the in the, in the the Atlantic Division, I would argue every team but the Bruins. You can take the Toronto Maple Leafs, who have been very good as of late, but you can take them. Maybe the Lightning is a team you're accepting a loss to. Now, in the Metro, I think it's just the Devils that you kind of accept a loss, or maybe Carolina, based on the matchup. But you should be able to beat Pittsburgh. I don't think they've played them yet this season, but that's a team you should be able to beat. An aging team, a goaltender that's questionable, defense that's been battered by injury as of late. But you can beat the Rangers. You've proved it. You can beat the Capitals. Although I think they give you a tough chance. Just the style that they play is so physical, and Alexander Ovechkin is scoring like a 24-year-old. But the rest, of the, the rest of those teams, outside of that top nine, and I guess Florida, if you want to throw them as the 10th team, are not that great. Detroit and Montreal kind of, and the Sabres, young and fun. Ottawa and Philly, probably a goaltender or defense away. Columbus, they stink. That's a team you've got to beat and beat badly. That's the team, if you can beat them, those six points might make you a playoff team. So you've got to do the damage when you can. In the Western Conference, that's where it gets tricky because the West is very good. Dallas is a tough team to beat. They've got some scoring pop. I think you can beat Winnipeg. I look at Colorado. They're injured, so you probably want to play them this next week when you have them. Vegas is incredible. Edmonton's a tough team to beat. Calgary, when their goaltending's on, is on. Minnesota, right now, they're dominating Detroit at this point in time as you record the show here on Wednesday night. And then Seattle's weird to me. I think you can actually handle Seattle pretty well. But there's not that many teams above you, realistically. right? You're 11 in the league right now. And I think you can take four or five of those teams above you. But it's about playing the other 24 teams that are around. And we'll start to see that now, this next stretch, this last month of the season, where you've got Arizona, Vegas, Colorado, the Rangers, Florida, Pittsburgh, and Columbus. Realistically, in that stretch, I could see the team going 5-2. and two. And doesn't that sound a lot different than, you know, 500? Beat Arizona. You know, lose to Vegas, that's fine. Beat Colorado. Beat the Rangers. And now you're 3-1. and one. I, I will say Florida back-to-back is kind of tough, but can you get 4-1 and one there? The big game to me is Pittsburgh. And Columbus. Columbus on, what is that, the 29th. Because realistically, you should be able to beat Pittsburgh, but that's a talented team that kind of is a bugaboo for this team. And then you look at Columbus and you say, we've got to beat them. There's no excuses if you lose to Columbus. There just isn't. That's not a good team. So kind of show me something and start scoring some goals. Now, one thing this team can do if they do continue to struggle is go after Bo Horvath. And yesterday, Vancouver, the Canucks put out a quote on their captain. He he said, quote, I am focused on this season and playing for the Canucks, helping the team in any way I can. 
I will not have any further comments this year about my future. Boy. That is a guy that has been reportedly on the block and wanting out of Vancouver basically all season long. Having a historic year for himself, he's a point-per-game player, 20 goals in 28 games played, on pace for over 50 this season. That's good. That's pretty good. Now, the, the tough thing is that his career highs in points have been 61 points in the 2018 season, 53 in 69 games played, in the 2019-2020 season, and he had 52 points in 70 games last year. I'm not dying to go out there and get a 50-point player. I'm just not. This season, he's not a 50-point player. He's what looks to be an 85-point player. But can we expect him to continue this scoring stretch the entire season long? That's the concern for me. Now, he is a center, and that's something that the Islanders could always use more of. You know, you want to say they're deep, but they're one injury away from having Azurazi as your center. And I don't know if I am dying for that right now, if I'm the Islanders. I say a, or a face-off percentage of nearly 58%, only $5.5 million against the cap. Again, Stefan Rosner, friend of the show, met, uh, wrote an article on him. And I, I think you can be aggressive on this guy, but you've got to be smart about it. Because I think there, you need more than just him. I think you might need defensive help. I would argue that Patrick Kane could be an answer for this team. I'd love to see him play on Matt Barzell's wing. But I am also concerned with, with Patrick Kane that, well, he hasn't been scoring quite a bit because his team kind of stinks. And he has no one with him. So is he going to be able to break out of that slump on a new team with Matt Barzell on his wing? Maybe that's the answer. But on Bo Horvat, I don't hate the option. I just couldn't throw more than a first-round pick and, and maybe something else at him. It'd be very hard for me to do that if I'm the Islanders. But that's just me. If you want to let me know what you think, give me a tweet at Believe in Isles. Send me a DM at MattWilding99. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear thoughts and anything that you, you're thinking about with the Islanders. But with that said, we'll turn to puck headlines, and we'll start with former Islanders coach Barry Trotz. He was on the Chirp podcast with Darren Millard. And actually said he seems like it's unlikely that he'll return to coaching this season. He said, quote, I'm deciding. There's a couple of teams that have reached out. And I said, I'm not there yet. I'm probably going to take the rest of the year off and see where I am. I'm going to continue to stay true to myself and my family right now. Obviously, Barry Trotz decided to stay out of coaching this offseason, in part because he wants to spend more time around his family, which I don't blame him, right? I certainly do not blame him. But this is a guy that there's really only a select few teams that he would go after, right? He's not chomping at the bit to go over to Anaheim to coach that stinky team. Toronto's playing better now, so it's not them. The Rangers are playing a bit better now. That could be a team that I see him going towards. You know, why would he go out there and, and, and rebuild a team? He's that last piece kind of guy. I think he'd be very good in Edmonton. That defensive prowess that he brings. and. You know, the goaltender out there could certainly use him. But Barry Trotz unlikely to return to coaching this season. Uh, moving on, Alexander Ovechkin scored his goal number 800 during Tuesday night's 7-3 route against Chicago. He also happened to score number 798 and 799. A hat trick, man, for Ovechkin. That, that guy's insane. It's, it's just astonishing to me that two years ago we didn't think he'd break Gretzky's record. It was kind of 
And now I would put every single cent of money and every single ounce of my property on him that he will score and break Alexander Ovechkin or Wayne Gretzky's record. Just the consistency of scoring has been incredible. And there's a couple of stats I want to throw out your way on that. 18 straight 20 goal seasons on pace to have his 10th 50 goal season this year, which would break the NHL record of nine seasons. He's tied with Mike Bossy and Wayne Gretzky. Uh, and what really stands out to me the most is the number of games it took to reach each 100 goals. So zero to 100, his 200th goal, and so on and so on. This is from, I think, Sportsnet Stats on Twitter. So the most, the longest it took him to score 100 goals was 190. And that was from number 500 to number 600. The fewest was from 100 to 200, in which he scored it in 130 goals. So the range is 60 games. Meaning also that worst stretch of games, he was still scoring more than half a goal per game, right? 190 divided by 100 is what, 0.9? No. 0.45, something like that. An absolute machine. An absolute machine. Uh, what I think super impressive too is he, he's getting better at this. His last 100 goals, it took him 162 games to, to score it. That, that's all. That's 50 goals per season if you, if you average it out, right? 282-game seasons, 164, right? 162, 100. That's 50 goal seasons right there. He's getting better, and that is incredible to watch. And I, I wish he was a little bit younger, to be honest, to see him try to go for 50 and 50. I don't think it happens. You know, maybe if he gets lucky. I, I truly believe the next player to do it could be Austin Matthews or, you know, maybe Connor McDavid. This kind of felt like the year McDavid could do it when you think about it because he's just decided to be the best goal scorer in the NHL. But when I look at the guys right now with, in terms of goal scoring, you know, McDavid leads the league with 26. But he's got what's going on. It's got to be 30 games played now, 30. So he's got a chance, but he's got to start scoring at a higher rate. I don't see Tate Thompson doing it. I could see Jason Robertson doing it, I guess, maybe. You know, could Pasternak do it? Unlikely. He's only at 19 goals right now. He puts up a lot of assists, though. And when Bergeron eventually retires, it's only going to make it harder for Pasternak. So I do think it's an Austin Matthews conversation. It's a Cole Caulfield kind of conversation. If he can get that eclipse mark. But I think the top three, if I had to bet money on it right now, to eventually break 15 50, it'd be Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, I guess. I don't even want to say Kaprizov because he just doesn't, he's not going to get any more help than he has right now. So I guess I'll give it to Jason Robertson because he's only getting better. And the team around him will get better as Jamie Benn and as Tyler Sagan, their contracts expire and they can actually improve the team in, I guess, what will be, what, four years? Something crazy like that. Uh, one last story to touch on is cap stuff. We love the salary cap here in the NHL. Uh, for next season, it's expected to rise just $1 million unless the NHL brings in another 140 to $150 million in hockey-related revenue that came from the Board of Governors meeting. Uh, again, the NHL players still owe a bunch of escrow. It's expected to be paid off by the end of next season, which is where you'll see the you know usual growth of around $4 million a year or whatever sort of, you know, based off of the revenue that you're making. But... In my eyes, there's a chance that the PA could ask to renegotiate to increase the cap higher. It's something called smoothing, where you say, listen, we don't have that much 
you know, escrow to pay back? Why don't we give a little bump? I think you should do that. I mean, you look at some of the teams that have, that are basically at negative cap room, right? Using LTIR, trading away assets to the Arizona Coyotes to take on their bad contracts. Like, it's just a bad situation. And kudos to the Coyote, or not the Coyotes. Yeah, the Coyotes for, excuse me, for for using and weaponizing their cap space. And even the Hurricanes getting Brett Burns for very little and Pacioretty for basically not, for literally nothing. Although he hasn't been great this season. He's been hurt all year, if I'm not mistaken. But can we, can we give a little more breathing room maybe, right? Because now you're seeing the players lose money, the middle guys getting squished, and somehow Sonny Milano and Dylan Strom are getting paid pennies on the dollar and no one wanted to sign them, right? The Blackhawks wouldn't even give Strom his qualifying offer. He's a very, very valuable piece because there was no money anywhere to go around. And that's the tough part because I would have loved Dylan Strom on this team or Sonny Milano. But there's that concern financially. And I guess for Lou, it was probably saying, hey, I don't want to bring in anybody else to this locker room. I like my guys. I disagree. But if I had an extra five million bucks to play around or four million bucks to play around this offseason, like the revenue increase would kind of correlate to, I'd certainly throw a flyer at Sonny Milano. The worst thing you do is you, you cut him on waivers, you let him go, and he signs somebody else. I still can't believe that man. It took that man that long to get a contract. I really do. With that said, let's take a quick look at the week ahead for the Islands. We kind of touched on it a little bit throughout the show. But you're taking on the Coyotes on Friday. That's must win. Yes, it's on the road. Yes, it's a weird environment, you know, playing in front of 4,000 fans. Yes, the Coyotes have this weird voodoo about them where they somehow always manage to keep it closer than it should. But you've got to throttle them. They are not a good team. They struggle immensely. Their goaltender's good, Vimelka, but you've got to win that game. You have to. Saturday against Vegas, different story. Would I like a win? Absolutely. But Vegas is a very, very good team. Kind of like last weekend where you had the back-to-back. If it was straight up and you got them on Sunday instead, I'd argue you should win that game. But when you're facing a team that's just as talented as Vegas, even without Eichel, who's on IR right now, I don't know what you really expect from this team, right? Like, what do you genuinely expect from a team that's facing another elite team? You like a win. Can you keep it close? Can you get a point? I guess that's what you're rooting for, right? Because right now this team's, look, they're 5-5 five and five in their last 10. They've got some injuries. But they're still leading the Pacific and leading the Western Conference as a whole by four points. So in those two games, I'd like three points out of it. And then against Colorado, look, they're the Stank Cup champions, but they've got like half their team on IR. That's the game you also have to win. It is. And if you can come home with four points out of the six, that's nice. That's nice. What is that? That's a 66 uh, point percentage. If If you win two out of every three games, that puts you right around where Carolina is. That puts you right around where the Penguins are. And over the course of an 82-game season, that's a nice number. That I, that probably gets you into the playoffs. Probably gets you into the playoffs. So win two of three. Maybe try to sneak a loser point in there and get it over with. All right, let's talk about our bets. And again, if you're not following our bets, you don't know what you're doing. Because we are electric. We are 
winning money hand over fist. We're four games over 500. It's a nice balance of safe bets, safer plays that we really like, and some value plays. And this week we have not as much value plays, but we still got two at plus money. Thursday night, I like the Rangers' money line over Toronto at plus 104. I want to say it's a home game for the Rangers. No, it is. It is. It's a home game for the Rangers. They're kind of on a roll right here, and I just think that I trust this team to win that game. And it's plus money. Why not? Uh, there isn't a line for this yet. It'll probably come out, I guess, tomorrow or Thursday when you're listening to this. But Marner, whatever his over half a point is, just give it to me. Why not? It's it's worked the last 22-plus games. Go for it. Why not? I also love the Vegas-Chicago over 6.5 at plus 100. Chicago stinks. They just gave up 7 to the Capitals. Vegas is a wagon. I think they're going to need to actually dominate this game, being 5-5 five and five the last couple games. So give me the Vegas-Chicago over 6.5 at plus 100. And the final one, the Vegas money line, uh, no push or no tie. So you're going to have to do some digging. It's not just right there on the screen, but you go into more bets, and it's basically the, the three-way. You can either bet the home team, the away team, or the tie. Bet Vegas in that setting. It's minus 130, which, again, is not a lot of great value, but it's enough because they're probably winning this game quite handily. I didn't want to take the one and a half just in case anything happened, but at minus 130, not the best odds, but, again, it'll get you a win. It'll get you there. And those are our four bets for this week's show. Uh, games of the week, Sunday, 5 p.m., Pittsburgh taking on Carolina. This is the please end in regulation game. If I had to pick one team to win it, I'd probably be rooting for Carolina just because that's a team that I know is a lock to make the playoffs, and Pittsburgh is more in that mix with you, so it's a question mark if they can make it. Uh, and then the game that everyone's excited for, it has no real implication on the Islanders. Monday, 10 o'clock, it's a late one, so get the coffee ready. Buffalo at Vegas. No Jack Eichel, but that, that's a fun mini, mini rivalry they've got, right? Krebs, Tuck coming back to Vegas. Vegas is a fun team. Tage Thompson's a stud. I mean, that dude is so much fun to watch. Game in, game out. So those are the two games that I'm looking out for. And with that said, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Believe in the Islanders podcast. Of course, follow us on Twitter at Believe in Isles. Follow me at MattWallet99. And we'll catch you same time, same place right here on the Believe Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.